Welcome to Everything Co-op, bringing you information on how cooperatives can help improve your quality of life. This show is being sponsored by the National Co-op Bank, NCB. The NCB is dedicated to strengthening communities nationwide for the delivery of banking and financial services for the nation's cooperatives, their members, and other socially responsible organizations. For more information on the power of community ownership, visit ncb.coop. That's ncb.coop. Now stay tuned for your host, Vernon Oaks. Good morning, everybody. This is Vernon Oaks with Everything Co-op. You know, this year is the 100th anniversary. We're celebrating NCBA Clusa's 100th anniversary. They were founded in March of 1916. Bread was five cents, and a T-model Ford was $300 in 1916. You know, I wonder what a hammer would have cost back then in the hardware store. As our guest this morning, Gina Schaefer from Ace Hardware. Ace is a co-op. Gina, good morning. Good morning. How are you? Good. Have you, were you around 100 years? Have you no, but I think they were like 15 cents. I'm pretty sure I've seen an ad for an old, old hardware store, and a hammer was 15 cents. 15 cents. <laughs> what do they cost today? Well, you know, anywhere from 4.99 to 40.99, depending on what you need. Well, you know, I don't know what they cost because I don't, I don't, I haven't picked up one in a long time. We'll <laughs> so, work on that after the show. No, 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 no. no. <laughs> How long have you been in the business now? It has been since March of two thousand and three. There must be years. something about March. Um, NCBA was March of nineteen sixteen. March yeah. of two thousand three. So let's go over the numbers first. How many stores do you have now? We have eleven locations. Eleven. It seems like you get one every two. You get two every two years or something. Right? I mean, every year. Something. We yeah. We had several years in a row with one, and then we had a couple times where it was two, and then we took a year off. We opened two in March of this year. We actually moved one, so it wasn't a new store. It was just a new location for us. And then we opened um, a, an official new one in March, both in the same month. Well, March again. Okay. Yeah. So, how many employees? I think we have 240, and I only say I think because it fluctuates a little bit when people start to go back to school. We have some summer students who, who come work for us in the summers, and then right now, today, for example, I have an orientation that I'm going to be teaching this afternoon with about 15 new folks, so right around 240. Okay. Yeah. 240 employees, 11 locations, and what sales up to now? We are hoping to hit north of $20 million this year. Wow. We're very proud of our sales. We work really hard. Um, we're, we have some ups and downs. You know, with 11 stores, there's always some that are doing really well and, and some that need more help. So that's right about where we are. It's pretty exciting. It's almost $2 million a store. Almost. Fantastic. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. And our sizes vary. I mean, you know, one of stores is, is super tiny. It was more of an experiment than anything. It's smaller than 4,000 square feet. We like to stay around 8,000 square feet. And then if we have a chance to throw in a, a section for plants, uh, particularly the summertime spring plants, uh, we can stretch those sales with live goods and everything that accompanies them. Let's ask the, the question I normally wait till later is, do you like what you're doing? <laughs> well, ask it now and then ask me at the end. <laughs> I do. I love what I'm doing. I love the people that I'm working with. 
I don't know if you know Zingerman's Deli in Ann Arbor, Michigan, but Paul Saginaw is one of the founders of Zingerman's Deli. And years ago, he said to me, Gina, I always thought the bigger we got, the easier it would get. And he said, one day I realized that's not the truth. And I think this is the year that I realized the bigger is not easier. So I'm having a great time. I love my job, but it, it seems to get harder and harder every day for some reason. Mm. Yeah. Bigger is not necessarily better, huh? Definitely not yeah. necessarily easier. Right, right. Well, does, and does, I say that with a smile. So, Does profit sort of go up proportionately, or do you find that you have more expenses or less sales in um, the relationship? You know, it's a little bit of everything. So we have my store. I have stores in Washington, D.C., in the city, uh, in, in the city of Baltimore, in Alexandria, Virginia, and then one in Tacoma Park, Maryland. So technically in four four cities, if you will. Mm-hmm. Um, I can have a store in Washington do a thousand customers a day and a store less than a mile away um, do 500, half of that or mm-hmm. less than half of that. Um, so I think the expenses, the expenses certainly go up. We, we've stretched the back office a little bit and I think it's time that we, we probably add to our, our back office support staff, but there's no guarantee, even opening in a great neighborhood, that a store is going to be successful. And so we have to pour more into advertising or the back office support. We may hire more people to improve customer service, even though the sales aren't very high. So there are a lot of things that we have to take into consideration. I don't know if it's an appropriate question or not, but do you have profit sharing? As a, as a purchasing co-op, the, my company is divided back a portion of what we purchased through ACE. So that's not really profit sharing, but that's how we work within our co-op structure. My little 11 stores has a profit sharing component for our employees mm-hmm. um, based on the net profits of the business. So, yes. And that obviously fluctuates. If we're having a really great year, there's more that we can put into that. That goes hand in hand with the 401k program that we provide for our team. Some years it's bigger than others, but okay. we do. I didn't quite understand, and if I, if I didn't understand, maybe the other people I heard did not either, is when you said ACE is a purchasing co-op. Correct. And you, give, you, you then give some of your profit back to ACE? No, I'm sorry. ACE gives it back to us. So as a purchasing co-op, we get a percentage of ACE's profit back every year based on what we purchased for them. And I, I'm probably not explaining it correctly, but we are only required as members of the co-op to buy a certain percentage of our products from the ACE co-op. ACE has distribution centers around the country. Twice a week, we place an order with them. They ship us the products. At the end of the year, they will give us a percentage back um, of their profits based on how much we purchased from those distribution centers throughout the year. Does that make sense? Yeah. I th- you're talking about the, yeah. basically the third co-op principle. Correct. And that is that there's something to buy in. You have to pay something to buy into ACE. And it's a purchasing co-op, and just for people out there, a purchasing co-op is where people join together to buy products so that they can get a better product normally at a lower price because of volume. Everybody's buying through ACE. Okay. Right. So as a co-op, you pay something to go in, and then if there's profit, then you can get something back in the form of a dividend that is, you. the members decide or does ACE management decide how much is given back? The board and management decide each year based on the profit. And we actually receive that dividend back in the form of stock and cash. So 
I like to think of it as a forced retirement plan. My husband and I were right around 30 when we opened our first location. Every year we accumulate a stock from that dividend, and that stock is ours, but we, with a few exceptions, aren't able to tap into that until we close our business or sell our business. So it becomes a retirement program for us if we weren't smart enough (laughs) or or, or throughout the years to save for ourselves. Okay. Yeah. So your company, and what is your name of your company? Well, so we we use the name A Few Cool Hardware Stores to lump all of our businesses together. A Few Cool, C-O-O-L, hardware companies. Yes. I don't think of hardware hardware companies as cool. That's neat. <laughs> no. Well, this is, so this is, this is how it happened, just briefly, if you don't. If no, you no. So when we had two locations, you know, in the bottom of emails, you put a signature. And I said, Gina, owner of Logan Hardware, which is our first location. And then we opened a second location, and I said, Gina, owner of Logan Hardware and Glover Park Hardware. And then we got to the third one, and not only was it going to be really long, the word, mm-hmm. I thought it sounded really pretentious. And at the time, I didn't know we were going to go beyond three, so it would have been owner of Logan Hardware, Glover Park Hardware, Tenley. You could see where it's too much to put an email. So one day, I just eventually you won't have enough room. Exactly. (laughs) And I said, owner, a few cool hardware stores, Um, and it stuck. I just planned on using it sort of as a silly little title, and it resonated with my team. It resonated with customers, and even when we got to eight, and we said, well, we're not a few anymore. Um, we had lots of people say you can't get rid of that. So each one of our businesses, back to your original question, are individual LLCs. Mm-hmm. So there's not one legal name for all of us. But in a lot of our marketing material or in conversations, we will say we are a few cool hardware stores. So the few cool hardware stores has a profit plan for your employees yes. and a 401k. I'm sorry, and I, I did I did misanswer your question. No, you, you, you answered it. I just needed to put a title to the, yeah. the yeah. name of your we business. We have a 401k team. program for our team. After they reach a certain level of tenure, they um, are automatically opted into our program. We put into that program on their behalf whether they put any whether they contribute or not. Um, we will contribute for them, and then we also have a profit sharing program based on our profits, our little company's profits at the end of the year. You know. He keeps saying little, and I guess twenty million is little <laughs> to some people, and it is huge to some other people. Right. Okay, a few cool hardware stores. I like it too. Thanks. I like it. It's silly. We can't take it too seriously. That's what we tell my team. We're not. We're not doing um, brain surgery. We're not sending rockets into the sky. We're selling hammers and nails and nuts and bolts, and and we should have fun while we're doing it. So we don't take ourselves too seriously. Although, as a homeowner, when you're getting ready to put that picture on the wall and you need a hammer and you need a nail, there are these little hooky things. If you don't have them, it, it's a problem. I love the hooky things. That's yeah. great. <laughs> <Okay>. <laughs> you know what I'm talking about. I, yes. The back of our, um, the back of our, our team's vest, we wear vests in the stores say my hardware list, whatchamacallit, sing them a Bob. And I can't even remember what the third one is, but we hear those all the time, so hangy thingies. Yes, you need you want to talk to somebody who can help you and who can answer your questions and uh, provide good customer service while they do it. Absolutely. Gina, you've you've been awarded all kinds of plaques or nomination as woman of the year, of the month, business person. How do you do all of this? Because your is your background in business? No. Well, no, absolutely not. Um, I 
graduated from Wittenberg University in Springfield, Ohio, with a degree in political science. I planned on working in a nonprofit or in politics my entire life, and I moved to Washington. I worked in a great nonprofit for many years and then moved into uh, the technology world, and it was, I mean, it's I should be embarrassed to say this in hindsight, but I'm not even sure I had really used a computer when I got my first technology job. But it was during the tech boom Mm -hmm. and the mid-'90s, and everybody needed bodies, and I had some goals and ambitions. So I worked in the tech industry for about five or six years before um, opening our first location. And really, the the tech boom had started to turn into the tech bus, and I was getting laid off for my second time and decided it was time to get out of that world. Um, and do something different. And because I had always wanted to own my own business and was in a neighborhood that was really undergoing a lot of revitalization, two and two just sort of came together. We've got to take our first break, and we'll come back and see how that two and two came together so that you went from tech to hardware. Yes. Uh, Interesting. (laughs) When you were five, you said, I wanted to own a hardware store. I know. I never. And we went, I want to get a little bit into the politics. Uh, last couple shows, I've talked about uh, the values and principles and look at the Democratic and Republican conventions and see how the values and the principles of co-ops apply or to those two conventions and what was said. But okay. we'll come right back right after the break to get what two and two is and how you got into hardware and those hickamy doodgers. We'll be right back. <laughs> 1450 WOL. Information is power. That's WOL's motto. And in that first uh, month that we were online, we had a guy named Papa Sin on the program from Senegal. And he's a farmer and a farmer co-op there. And he said that it's when you put energy to the information is where you get the power, when you go into action. And this is why WOL is such a great, great partner in this program because NCB is sponsoring this program to give you the information about co-ops. And if you use this information to either start a co-op, join a co-op, get really involved in this cooperative uh, economic model, then you have the power and that power could even help you to control your own destiny. And this is what's happening with Gina Schaefer and her husband uh, with 11 locations of Ace Hardware. And Ace Hardware is a purchasing co-op. Okay, Gina, you were talking about 2 plus 2, and you ended up in this hardware thing. What, what's the 2 plus 2 equal 5 or 11? It equals 11, right, and 240. Yeah. So I lived in, um, for any of the listeners who are familiar with Logan Circle, I had moved to Logan Circle in 1999. And I think at that time, every other house, I'm not really exaggerating, I mean, every third house was still boarded up. It needed, the neighborhood, it needed a lot of work, a lot of healing still from the 60s. And you could sort of feel the swell of it coming back. And people were moving east in Washington and buying houses. And my husband and I, before we were married, each bought a condo in Logan Circle. And long story short, we got involved with the community association and people started saying, wow, I wish we had a hardware store. And I was getting laid off that second time. I'd mentioned that earlier mm-hmm. and said, well, I think I could probably open a hardware store, which of course sounds ridiculous in hindsight. I, don't, I didn't know anything about hardware. I don't know why. Particularly when you look at Eugene, I mean, you, 
you you look like a cheerleader or something. I mean, you got this <laughs> oh, that's good. bubbling, I that's, bubbling yeah. personality <laughs> and smiling and. And you, you know, you think about a hardware person that's this old grumpy guy, you know, has been around for 99 years and he, and he knows what the hickamadoojas are. And that's what yep. I think of when I think of a hardware person. So, no, okay, it, it doesn't sort of fit you right away. No, I've heard that. And you, it's funny, Vernon, because you said, how did you get all of these awards in the press and stuff? I don't think it's because I did anything special. I think that it's because as a woman, at least in the beginning, I was a novelty in the hardware world. At least a vocal novelty. I mean, there have historically been lots and lots and lots of women involved in hardware stores and owning them and co-owning them with husbands, et cetera. But when I first opened that store, at least in Washington, it was a novelty. My husband joined me three months later. He is a 100 percent equal partner. But people always saw me as the face of the business. And, oh, my gosh. Here's this chick. <laughs> What's she doing running a hardware store? And I think that all seriousness aside, I think that joking aside, I think that the bubbly personality lends itself to creating a good customer service environment. Mm-hmm. And we we don't win. We don't do that all the time. But, man, we strive for it. And part of that is just being enthusiastic and smiling and letting our, our guests know that we care about them. And we'll figure out what that thingamabob is. It just might take us a little bit. <laughs> I read something that you said you spoil your customers, you spoil your employees, and you provide excellent products. Hey, I like that. Did I say that? Somewhere I read that. <laughs> Somebody <laughs> said it about us? Mm-hmm. What we do, I think um, I think that if you expect good customer service, you have to treat your, your team members well. I mean, all of us have shopped in places where you are either ignored, no one asks you if you need help, no one pays attention, no one says thank you, those sorts of things. And I, I always assumed that if you were treated like that when you went into a retail business, it's because the boss was mean or the the uh, the leadership was helping to, you know, create and nurture that kind of environment versus one where people felt like they were having fun or learning or doing something with their lives. And customer service is really hard. They They tend to be, I don't know, it's a really hard job. You know, the smile goes a long, long way. But then if you have people that are, when you come in, even when they say welcome or glad you're here or that does so much. And when I've gone into your stores, that's what I get. But, you know, being a black American, uh, growing up in the 60s, there was too often I went into a store and nobody would wait on you because they were discriminating against you. And, And I still feel that. If I go into a store... And it's sort of unfortunate to have this history. But if I go in a store and I'm not waited on right away or if nobody will come up and say anything or if you look at a salesperson and they go the other way, yep. it's, a, it's automatically there. I mean, that, that not only is it poor customer service, but somehow that's discrimination. Again, it may not be. It may just be that the person had a bad day or the boss, as you said, ha- are not stressing good customer service. Yeah. I actually, I had that conversation with a friend of mine who happens to be African-American. She had a really bad experience somewhere. And I said, you know, this isn't funny, but I had the exact same experience yesterday. And, you know, I'm a Caucasian female. And we had a long conversation about that. Like, it's just crappy customer service. Not always, but in this particular case. But you can see some of those deep-seated historic experiences that are really hard to get past or I don't know. No, it is hard to get past because yeah. they they hurt. 
Sure. I mean, it, it's, well, it, and they were, they're true in a lot of cases. Yeah. Uh, and I say particularly in the 50s and the 60s, you go into a store like you couldn't sit down at the counter. Um, right. And it, it said, you know, colored order here and you had to take it out. I mean, so that was real, real. And I experienced that. And so then you you just take that over. You go into a store, hardware store, clothing store, grocery store. And you try to find somebody to answer your question and you sure. can't find or they turn around and go the other way. So, no. Unfortunately, it's real. But I also have learned enough to know there's not always discrimination. <laughs> Sometimes it's just plain rudeness, yeah. right? Well, you know, we tell I there's a I have a, I've had I I do like teach orientation. I, I said that with my team, and we talk a lot about customer service. And one of the things that we realized years ago is I, I'll give an example of an associate who worked with us for about ten years. He was really the first person in his family ever to have a job to ever hold down a job, be serious, just he got it. And his parents had, his mother, single mother, had instilled a really great work ethic in him, but she honestly had never really worked much in her life. And so I said to him, every time someone walks in, they are going to think you're just this kid that probably has no experience fixing a house. You're young, whatever stereotype you want to want to assign. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. You just remember that every time a customer walks in, that you probably know more than them, and they may have been in the same situation as you at some point. And I don't know if that levels the playing field, but, you know, it, we ha- it happens. As I've had plenty of people walk into the store and say, hey, I want to talk to a man. Well, why can't I help you <laughs> fix your toilet or change your outlet? And all of those, all of those, uh, yeah, no, we, a bunch of my female staff and I have jokes about that. No, give me, find me a man. No, we're going to help you. Anyway, you kind of have to remember that not everybody's, been taught how to do these things or how to give good customer service, frankly. The young man that has been with you 10 years, how well is he doing? He's great. Well, he actually, he, he, he left last year, which is, which is good. We have, we kind of have an up or out policy. We want people to be promoted or move on to higher paying uh, jobs because we can't promote everybody. And he finally did move on to a higher paying, better job. And we were so proud of him. Of course, really sad to see him go, but um, sometimes, sometimes it takes a longer time than others gain that confidence to find another job or put yourself out there for a bigger program. And so he's he's a great success story. We have folks who have left to do apprenticeships and gone into things like HVAC and and plumbing, Um, folks who have gone on to bigger retailers and management roles. Um, Fantastic. Yeah, it's it's really – I'm like the proud mama when that happens. I cry because they're leaving, but I get really really excited for what they're going to do. Proud mama. Um, (laughs) The chick, the yeah. cheerleader. I'm using all kinds of words, aren't I? <laughs> well, I use the cheerleader part. Um, political science major. Yes. Uh, the Rural Electric Co-ops has a web page. It's called voter.coop, a vote.coop. And you can go on vote.coop and register to vote, see if you're registered. You can register, put up the state in that you're in. And uh, it will also show you who is running for president and who's running in that particular state for, you know, the House of Representatives or even local jurisdiction and give you a little bit of history about each of those persons. I think it's a phenomenal web page to, to try to get people registered to vote and give them some information to make an informed decision. Did you know about this web page? Uh- you know, I did not. I know a lot about the um, rural co-op, 
but not that page. I'll check it out. But what I was thinking about, and one of the reasons I wanted to bring it up is if we got more and more people to know about it and go on it, and you have at least 240 employees, you could tell about it and see if they would go on and get registered and then maybe even customers. I know that Rural Electric is, is promoting it and NCBA is promoting it. So I'm also promoting it just to try to get people out there to vote. Sure. So political science major, what do you have to say about this presidential election? Oh, gosh. Well, you know, I live in D.C. That means I'm all for any Democrat. Right? Isn't that the way we are in, in Washington? Mm-hmm. Um, what do I have to say about this election? I, I'm not sure we can talk about this without me getting too frustrated because it's just it's a shame that. We, we, we have to come right back. <laughs> I wanted to hear what you have to say. We'll come back and talk about Vote.coop and this whole election and being a Democrat. We'll be right back. 1450 WOL. Welcome back, everybody. This is Vernon Oaks. We're here with everything.coop. That's our new webpage, everything.coop. You could go on and listen to previous shows, or you could sign up to get press releases on who's going to be on next week's show. And today we have Gina Schaefer, Ace Hardware owner with her husband. They have 11 locations in Washington, D.C., Baltimore, Alexandria, and Tacoma Park, Maryland. They're in this metropolitan area. She has $20 million in sales, 240 employees in these 11 locations, and she believes in customer care. Gina, we were talking about politics because you're a political science major, so you know more about it than I do. And I well, was I did. I don't know if I remember everything I learned. That's <laughs> well, for sure. <laughs> well, this particular election, presidential election cycle, is not like any other. So I was asking you, what do you think about it? What advice do you have for people as a small business owner and political science well, major? I think so. This is how I'm thinking about it this time, uh, to be honest, because I think that it, it's it's been a little ugly. It's certainly going to get uglier. Um, I have some pretty strong political beliefs, but what I really want to see happen is I want to see the candidates support. I want the politics to support things that I am passionate about or things that my, my team members are passionate about, which could be, for example, raising the minimum wage. Um, I've spoke out vocally on raising the minimum wage and making workplace more equitable. Certainly the equal pay for equal work is as a woman, very, near and dear to my heart and something that we we talk about here in the office. So when I'm listening to what's going on with the candidates and what some of the issues are, these are the things that I'm listening for. These are the things that are resonating with me um, as we move into the next election. Well, I have one more, well, two more that I'd like to add to those. Those are very, very important to me. But You know, this raise the minimum wage, I'm really looking for how People can make more money, and that's why I like worker co-ops. There's a book out called Cities Building Community Wealth, mm-hmm. and uh, Democracy Collaborative had that book, and they talk about a lady, uh, Maria, in New York, who is a, a maid, if you will, and she was getting paid $7 an hour. They formed the worker cooperative, and now she's making 20 bucks an hour. Nice. And so that's why I would love to see them, the politicians, put more money in creating worker cooperatives, even above and beyond the minimum wage, or do both. 
Um, I, sorry, I didn't mean to interrupt. I was thinking of um, one of Howard Brodsky is the co-CEO of, of CCA Global, which is a large co-op, and they they're they operate among other co-ops, the Carpet One, home and flooring co-ops. And Howard has started, I, I guess, an international nonprofit to get co-ops around the world to start collaborating more and raising our voices in support of co-ops. And he, they put together this really great survey that. And I say great. Really what it proved is that most people just still don't know what co-ops are. Workers mm-hmm. don't know what kind of co-ops they can join or create. Consumers don't know what kind of co-op um, they should be supporting or who co-ops are. For example, most people think that Ace Hardware is a franchise. They don't know us as a co-op. However, the studies that, that Howard and his team did prove that once you start to tell the consumer, once they, once the consumer starts to understand what a co-op is, they are something like 75% more likely to want to support that business. So I want, obviously, 75% more people to support my business because the more, the more people who support us, the higher I can raise the wages for my team, the more benefits that I can offer. Um, everything, everything rises. And, you know, at the interest of sounding utopian, um, I think that co-ops play a huge role in creating that kind of that kind of national environment. That's why I love co-ops. But now tell me, what, what's the name of Howard Brodsky's uh, organization? Well, CCA Global is the organization, is the company that he is the CCA co-CEO CCA Global, of. okay. Yes. And he has been working on uh, cooperatives for a better world to what? really help promote the co-op identity in the, in the world, essentially. I mean, obviously, he's a national. He's located here, um, but he's working with other international co-op figures. Well, cooperation, cooperatives for a better world, I think that was ICA's motto in 2012, the International Cooperative Alliance's motto. Yeah. Okay. But you just listed one of the reasons I really like co-ops. I mean, it's quite a few, but um, it can help people create financial wealth in a whole bunch of different ways. But people don't understand them. They don't know about them. So everything that we can do, and this is why National Co-op Bank is sponsoring this program, is to get people to understand what a co-op is. And once they could get that understanding, they would go look for Ace Hardware stores or Nationwide Insurance, REI, credit unions, uh, housing co-ops, look at farming co-ops, Cabot Creamery. So, I love, we do so much with Cabot Creamy there. That is such an amazing co-op. I love that company. Uh, there's so many, and there's one, I'm, I'm blocking their name, um, Fair Trade, Equal Exchange. Equal Exchange, yes. And their products are excellent. You go online and order them, the peanuts, the coffee, the chocolates, just fascinating products, competitively priced. And it's so, yeah, once people know about them, and I didn't learn about them in formal education. It was, I do property management, as you know, and I learned about managing properties, uh, housing co-ops, and they function so much better. And the question has always been, because they function so well, why aren't there more? What why aren't there? Them? Yeah. What's your theory? I don't know. Well, I have a couple. One is I have developed on this program the first, that first October, a lady from Greenbelt, she said they're hard work, and I was surprised at that, that everybody would not want to do the work, and Rodney North from Equal Exchange explained it that you have your own job to do, 
if you're in a worker cooperative, and then you have to govern. And so you have to learn how to govern, and then you have to do your job. And sometimes you would be in charge if you were to, you know, like a board president. And then if you're, whatever your job is, if you're on the line or don't, then you're just a worker and you have to take orders from management. And sometimes you're given management orders as, as the board member. So it was interesting, the dynamics of the worker cooperative and it's hard work. But my theory has been, and somebody called me cynical on the program is that the rich, those one percenters are the, uh, throughout time, particularly in the 50s, 60s, and 70s, didn't want people to know about co-ops. Yeah. Because if people knew about co-ops, and like particular housing co-ops, there is money made on poverty, okay, on this, this whole poverty industry, there's money being made providing housing, food, health care. And so if people can go out, the people that need housing, if they can manage the property, normally it is the rents are lower. The housing is better because they take better care of it. Better care. It's the ownership they, piece. They have social uh, skills. They learn how to work with each other. And they learn how to work with government entities like police, and so crime is lower. So everything is better, but HUD doesn't put money into housing co-ops. Right. Like, Why? And I go, but it seems like the only thing that makes sense is if rich people own the houses, then they'll make the money. But more likely than not, if they don't live in the house, they don't put the money back in. They have it for 15 years. There's deferred maintenance, da-da-da-da-da, and then they get rid of it after the tax credit or whatever that time period is. And so, well, and you, start, you, you sort of you hit, you touched on it when you, when you first started talking in that it's a lot of work. And it's easier, I think, in a lot of cases for a government agency, for example, to just throw money at a problem and not have to do the hard work that it takes to create the new leaders, work within the infrastructure where you're, you know, you're leading, you're leading by co-op, which means that everyone does have an equal voice, which is a challenge. It's difficult. I have a, I have an, an, a teammate right. associate who I just adore. She has worked with us for almost eight years. We have promoted her twice. Both times she's asked to be demoted. And it's very difficult in a lot of cases for someone to be elevated to a leadership role and then to go back to be an associate, usually because they have a hard time not still being the boss. And I'm, I'm using air quotes because you, you either get a taste of that leadership, the uh, responsibilities that go along with it, and you don't want to relinquish it. Well, in the case of this uh, one associate, she has just never felt ready to be a leader. And we, when we get to the point where we think she is and we've promoted her, she asks to go yeah. back to her old job, you know, being a sales associate. And I think it's a perfect example of what it takes to be a part of a co-op and having to exert those leadership skills, flex them, not just waiting for someone to do everything for you and or tell you what to do. Or It's, it's a bigger challenge, for sure. You know, the, the other challenge that we've historically had, and NCB, National Cooperative Bank, I believe, was funded for this reason, banks historically would not lend money to co-ops. That's correct. Yep. Right? Yep. So finally, the federal government chartered national cooperative banks so the co-ops could start getting money. And I, I think I was, um, I think it was a grocery co-op recently. They still haven't figured out, um, the SBA is having a challenge with this, they still haven't quite figured out how to fund grocery co-ops. Because as, an, as a member of a grocery co-op, I own such a teeny tiny percentage of the share that there's no real ownership 
to hold accountable should the grocery co-op fail or mm-hmm. you know, who mm-hmm. need a loan. Who do you give a loan to when there's 10,000 people that own a fraction of a share of an organization? So some of those challenges are obviously still – they still persist. And in a housing co-op, uh, you have a share of stock and not real property. You don't have a deed. And right. so they consider it personal property and not real estate. So uh, you can't get a mortgage, and that's why you need a share loan, and everybody doesn't understand a share loan. So yeah. Yeah, you have all of these differences. Um, the results are marvelous and wonderful if you can get people like that employee you're talking about or the residents, if you can get tenants to change their attitude from a tenant to an owner, or you get employees to change your attitude from an employee to an owner. And now we're in the process of changing Oaks Management, the property management company, from 100% owned by me to a worker cooperative. And we've been studying now for about 14 months. And I've learned a lot. <laughs> Both the employees have been used to they're the problem. They looked at me and said, okay, what's the answer? And I'm used to giving yep. the answer. And, and now having to not give that answer is a change for my attitude, too. Uh, it goes both ways. It's true. It's a great sociology study, I think, <laughs> especially if you've been operating one way for a long time. 22 years. So, yeah, uh, yeah it, and, and it's fascinating to watch them come up to the challenge and start making decisions <laughs> and telling me, you know, sit Silver in a corner minute. We got to talk. <laughs> okay. <laughs> it is really neat. But it, it, again, it's hard work. And what I learned with HUD is they did not know how to manage that relationship of a co op, particularly when one of them got in trouble. A few got in trouble. Uh, matter of fact, that was other, one of the other statistics was the housing co ops outperformed the apartments in terms of, of uh, low to no uh, foreclosures, even in, the, in 08. So, but HUD does not know how to manage them when they when they get into trouble because they take more time. They they are different, and then those people have learned those social skills, and right. they are a political force. So, uh, getting all of that worked out would be very very interesting and so much better for our economy and our ho- housing stock. But it'll take work. I agree with you. It it takes a lot of work, and I think it takes people like you and me and and folks who believe in co-ops to continuously talk about them every time. I go back again to this orientation I'm going to teach. I will teach a piece on co-ops and the orientation because I know that most of the folks coming in to work here don't know what co-ops are. They don't understand what co-ops are. And I want them to be able to comfortably say to our customers, no, we're not a franchise. No, we're not a chain. We are a member of a co-op because they get to experience that light bulb going off. Oh, wow, I didn't know that. We're going to take their final break, and we only have 15 minutes. It's always a joy talking to you. We'll be right back. Please don't touch that dial. 1450 WOL. Welcome back, everybody. This wonderful Thursday morning, we have Gina Schaefer, uh, the owner with her husband of a few cool co-ops. Gina, do you guys use the values and the co-op principles? I like the ethical values of honesty, openness, social responsibility, and caring for others. And you've already shown in here that you care for others. The one that I think we probably use the most is, I believe it's number six, cooperating with other co-ops. That's the one that we participate with the most because, for example, I said how much we like Cabot Creamery earlier. Um, 
Cabot and my company, particularly the marketing managers of the two co-ops, um, have put together great programs for us in the spirit of that principle of cooperating with other co-ops. What's an example of a program you can put together between cheese and hardware? Well, you know, it's funny. So it, everybody <laughs> loves cheese, right? So if we have an event, we have some grilling events at our stores. We sell a product called the Big Green Egg, and we fire up the barbecues outside some of the stores, and we grill for some of our, our neighbors. And Cabot will send boxes of cheese for those programs. We have a volunteer day at one of our stores, and Cabot Creamery sent their gratitude grill, they call it, which is a, a truck, a food truck that pulled up in front of our business. And for every customer that came in and met with one of our nonprofit partners, Cabot gave uh, the guest a sandwich, a uh, grilled cheese sandwich and some salad. So they, did, they participate in a food way, and we participate by helping spread the message of how yummy Cabot Creamery uh, cheese is. They support, you know, 1,500 farmers, mostly in the Northeast. So we, we help share each other's message. Is that McDonald, Marilyn McDonald, the marketing person at Cabot Creamery? Um, Roberta McDonald. Roberta. Yeah, Roberta is a she is a powerhouse. If you talk, you want to talk about a cheerleader with energy, um, she's been on the program. That's what I was trying to. Has she, yeah, she's she's taught me a lot. She's great. So she's got some folks um, who work in her department who um, collaborate with my marketing manager on all sorts of things. But it's typically them sending materials about co-ops and cheese to any event that we're having, open houses every or grand openings every time we open a new store, that kind of thing. Ladies' night. They participate by uh, supplying food. What's ladies' night? That sounds interesting. <laughs> yeah, well, we have really fun uh, ladies' nights at some of our some of our locations. We don't close it. You can still come as a, as a man, but we promote it specifically to women. We usually have around 250 that come, and we do power tool demonstrations. We invite our vendors to come talk about products that they sell. Um, there's always some sort of philanthropic component. We provide wine and cheese and snacks from other local uh, locally owned businesses. So it's just fun. It's a hardware party. Okay. Yeah. But you know, you know, cooperation among co-ops is, your, is one that you're really working on. But this whole education piece, I, it sounds like you do that a lot also in your business. And I would assume ACE uh, trains you guys, and you're also training your customers, ladies' nights, and do webinars or other training, uh, education? We don't, specific, we don't specifically do webinars, but we do a lot of outreach on Facebook uh, through social media uh, just about the events and things that we're hosting at the stores. And then also we always try to include some sort of, some sort of component that explains that we're a co-op, really. I mean, I, I would say probably one out of 20 customers that walks through the door knows that we're a co-op or understands what that means. So we keep trying to get more and more um, involved in the co-op movement, if you will, and in using the language. You know, REI, you mentioned REI earlier, they came out with a big splash last year where they've really rebranded themselves as a co-op. And I think that, I have to think that the leadership at REI has realized that it's becoming more and more exciting to be a member of a co-op or to be a co-op. It's mm -hmm. cooler to be a co-op. So I was really proud to see a national brand make such a big push. And I think, if anything, hopefully it'll help educate consumers more that, or that there are more co-ops out there. True Value, one of the other national hardware co-ops, um, obviously it's a big deal. They've been around, gosh, I'm sure as long as Ace has, but they have the same issues. You know, people think they're a chain or a franchise. I've been trying to reach out to REI unsuccessfully so far to try to get them on a radio program and to understand them better. Uh, they have a interesting history if you go on their web page mm -hmm. um and i was in california i was in san diego and i was in the car and i heard a, a, a 
add about them, which I probably would have never even heard until I knew that they were a co-op. Oh, you wouldn't have paid attention, yeah? I wouldn't have paid any attention to it. Well, you know, they're opening a flagship store here in Washington, D.C., so maybe we're going to just have to go camp out on their doorstep. Do you have any idea when? I want to say in the fall, and I should know that because my husband is so excited that they're opening. I think it's in the fall of this year. Don't quote me. Okay. I'll look it up. Yeah. We can figure out who's there and get them in and talk about the store. They're opening in uh, Northeast near Union Market. So, really cool space. Oh, by guy you're dead. Yeah, exactly. Neat, 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 neat. I like that market, too. Okay, so what have you learned about co-ops that you would like to leave people with? We have about six or seven more minutes. Well, I think, so obviously I've been in this business since 2003. I haven't learned enough. I, there, I have a lot more to go. But a couple of the things that I've learned, one is that we are a diverse bunch, meaning worker-owned, product co-op, housing co-op. That was probably the biggest educational piece for me. I truly had no idea. I knew I knew when we wanted to open our first store that, or, or quickly learned, I guess, that all hardware stores buy from somewhere. All of them either buy from our members of a co-op or buy from a wholesaler. Um, I knew and respected Ace and True Value just, I don't know, through my travels growing up. And my husband sent emails to both of them, and so we started delving more into what that meant to be part of a a supply co-op, a product co-op, buyer co-op. So that was probably the first thing that I learned, just the differences. And then as I've... Can I get you to hold on that one minute and let me give a definition here, which we didn't do at the beginning. Sure. There are basically four types of co-ops, this diverse bunch that Gina's talking about. It depends on who owns and controls the business is the main variable. If it's owned and controlled by the employees, it's called a worker cooperative. And so you can have any business you can think of be a worker co-op. If it's owned and controlled by the people that uses the products or services, it's called a consumer cooperative. And credit unions and housing co-ops, there's a health co-op in Madison, Wisconsin, that's owned by the patients. So it's consumer co-op. Now, if it's a a co-op that's put together where people, basically businesses come together and they buy things, it's called a purchasing co-op, and that's what ACE is, uh, that all of these people will, they'll have people that negotiate with the vendors to buy larger uh, quantities and volume and get a better product and a better price. And then there's the marketing co-ops, and farmers, artists, they will come together like Cabot Creamery, and they will sell their milk or and, and then the marketing co-op may then add value to it by making it into cheese or whatever. And then they sell their products to more to more uh, markets and get a better price. So it's working together, pooling together, talents, monies, resources, and getting a lot of education. Okay, that's the diverse bunch. Well, those are those are great uh, definitions. I should have been I should have been recording that. Okay. <laughs> so I could repeat it like that. But well, what, so- by, by next week, if if Pat Thornton is a producer, she'll go and edit this, and she'll have it on our webpage, everything co-op, and so you'll be able to get it and then share that. Share that the, it'll be an MP3, and you can share it any way you want to. Put it on your webpage or write it. I will do that. That's good to know. Fantastic, because it, you 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 described it. Very simply, which is important because I think it does get a little con- confusing when you start talking about the different types. Um, so first, first, I obviously had to realize that entities like that existed and what they meant. And then throughout the last 13 years in business, I've gotten more and more involved 
with the small business community, particularly particularly here in D.C., the Shop Local movement, um, which really encompasses all locally owned businesses. And then a subset of that is figuring out how our, our voice as a co-op, meaning part of a bigger entity, really plays in this, this small business environment. Um, and it goes back again to that to the educational piece. If I'm in a small a meeting with small businesses, making sure that everyone understands that as a member of the ACE Co-op, I am still a locally owned small business. So that educational process, it just it's ongoing. I don't know if that's all that I've learned. Those are the first two things that come to mind. They're probably the most important to me right now to continue to carry on that message, speak out about co-ops, encourage other folks to to join or open co-ops. Um, and just keep growing as much as I can. But as I read about you, I also see that you encourage women to get into business. Yeah, so um, I'm a huge advocate of, of women being involved in the, the fabric of small business. I think we own more small businesses than men. And I also realized at ACE, on the, the my, in my co-op, that the women who are owners and managers of hardware stores could use some support. So um, with the help of some awesome um, corporate staff, we started a women in ACE group. I guess it's been four years ago now, so at every convention, twice a year, we get together any woman at the show involved in hardware, whether she be an owner, a corporate, a member of the co-op staff, the corporate staff, or a, a woman who's attending the show as a manager or employee of a co-op. So we've had educational programs. Uh, we do networking. Really, it's just a way for the, the women who are getting involved, particularly the younger women, to realize that there's a field here. There's a career path here. Um, you don't just have to be a man to run or own or work in a hardware store well. Okay. <laughs> Darn it. <laughs> we're, we're, we are out of time. Great. And I really enjoy talking to you. I love your upbeat spirit and your smile. So thank you so very much for blessing me this day and blessing our audience. Last word? I love being on the radio. I love I love the show and everything that it stands for. And, and, of course, NCB is a huge supporter of my business. And so I really appreciate being on the show and being able to talk about co-ops and, and how important they are. And, and hopefully someone was listening who maybe didn't know as much about co-ops and now does and didn't know that Ace was and will now come shop in my store because of it. So Thank you. For opportunity. Yeah. All right. Have a great Bye day. Now. See everybody next Bye. Thursday. Have a Bye. great Bye. week. 1450 WOL.